filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. I've been tasked recently, and I and been fully on board with this task. But I, I've been tasked with making frittatas recently. Uh, they're much easier to make than omelets, in my opinion, because you don't have to fold them. Uh, and the way I make frittatas, I don't flip them. That that seems just a terrible idea. I, I just make them and then I put them under the broiler, and then they broil, and then I shake them out, and then then they're done. Uh, which seems like the best way of making frittatas. It's just like an eggy goodness. Uh, just make some ding-dang frittatas, y'all. Uh, they're really, really quite delicious. Uh, so I have a different experience with frittatas. It's nothing to do with the food stuff uh, or the making thereof. Um, then, then you're already wrong. Let, let's, one second. Frittatas are great. Okay, Jason, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not saying that frittatas aren't great. Uh, I, what I'm saying is a different experience. It's really more the word. Um, and an experience I had with the word in the post-college uh, drunk days. Um, one night we came back from going out to the bars, and we'd gotten ourselves somehow back from the metro, and we had gone. We all went to the giant across the street um, from our house, and we the giant was a twenty-four hour, or it was a twenty-four hour giant, which is awesome when you're very drunk and it's like two thirty because you have everything to to choose from, um, and at some point we got into the house and people were making their various stupid foods like frozen pizzas. And my one friend was eating an entire bag Tost- of hun- honey Tostinos? pretzels. Uh, no, probably not Totino's pizzas. Um, it was Why probably not? like the, I don't know. It's just, I don't Totino's pizzas. The pizzas were garbage. The pizza right, rolls. But if, you're, but if you're drunk at two 30, why I not? Remember pizza rolls being very popular in this. Or, or what about this... just some like, some like Stouffer's French bed pizza pizzas? Those might have been present. Okay. Um, there's a distinct chance of those. Um, right. But at some point during this, uh, you know, everyone's walking in and out of the kitchen trying to make their various foods, and we've got some stupid movie on TV. Uh, one of my roommates was like, he was more drunk than the rest of us, and he wandered in the kitchen, and he just started berating everyone, demanding that someone make him a frittata. And it kind of ruined everything, because no one wanted to make him a frittata, and no one even had, like, the wherewithal. Like, it's like, no, I, I don't, I'm too drunk. Uh, I can put, I can turn the oven on and put a thing in the oven. I can't do the rest of that. I'm not doing it. And I will say, what, uh, pause a sec. Like to really make a frittata, like, like the the egg part of it is super easy. Like a lot of it is like I I spend like thirty minutes just like chopping veggies to prepare the frittata, and right. then then like start to saute them, and like this the egg the part, part of it is is nothing. Right. Yeah. The, the, it's the mise en place that is the... Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so none of us wanted anything to do with that because we were very drunk. Don't start doing, you know, delicate prep work with a knife when you're very drunk. At no point should you consider that no. a good idea. So no. the rest of the five or six people in the house are like, absolutely not. This is a terrible idea. Make your own food, dummy. 
And he's just screaming at us at this point, demanding a frittata. And so everyone's trying to go about their business, making their food, and he's just like stomping and yelling in a comic manner, but it's like it's gotten to the point where none of the rest of us are having fun with it anymore. Um, is, is he like Bowser? No, actually, he's the smallest person in the house. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's the most likely to so stop. So more like a toddler throwing a tantrum. Yes, but he's having a great time throwing a tantrum. The rest of us are increasingly le- having less of a fun time uh, to such an extent that at like four in the morning, I was like, I've eaten my stupid food. I'm going to bed. And I could still hear him yelling at someone that was still up about the frittata. And at some point I was like, I'm going to, if I just lay down and stay still, I'll fall asleep before he comes to my door <laughs> demanding that I get back off nope, and make him a didn't happen. And by the time that thought had completely formed in my skull, it, like a second later, I just heard thump, 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 thump. Maybe a frittata. And this went on until like- <laughs> He sounds like a bad friend. Uh, well, he's a rowdy drunk. Uh, a lot of my good drunk stories involve him providing crucial inspiration at crucial moments, <laughs> uh, but also sometimes that can work against you. What, what, it's a high risk, high reward what, what, strategy what, what, there. Is this person part of part of Cluck You? Uh, yes, uh, he is in fact the other person that was with me when we got <laughs> thrown out of Cluck You. Um, <laughs> so you can see, like, this is the kind of you know. Like Adam said, this is a high-risk, high-reward person to go drinking with, and sometimes it goes the wrong way, and your friend is standing in front of your room for like a solid hour, bellowing <laughs> about frittatas. And then the kicker is that the next day, I was like, why did you want a, a goddamn frittata so much? He's like, what what, what was I asking for? We're like, you, a frittata? <laughs> you were screaming at us. He's like, no, what I wanted, and it, I can't remember what he described, but it was not, it was categorically not a frittata. After all that, he didn't even, even if we had made him one, he would have been like, That's He would not, not have known what it was. Yes. Uh, just take the word. Characteristic of that entire era of drinking uh, is. Oh, just... Bradley. I, I have no idea what his name is, but his name is now Bradley. All right. That's not true, but that's fine. He can be we'll Bradley. Go with it. For, for these purposes, he's now Bradley. Yeah. I, the thing I don't understand is why Ben finds half an hour of chopping vegetables to be easier than making an omelet, which is a very simple thing to do. Adam, Adam, how long do you have to saute the onions, the the peppers, the other vegetable, the kale, the, which I put into my frittata? You can't just like throw that into an omelet and then I just understand. fold it and, and then it's done. I mean, you can. Right, but then it's fucking raw and then I mean, it's just like- Or you can saute- meat. You, I mean, if you're making an omelet, you use two eggs, three if you're super hungry. You don't need to Adam, dice a Adam, whole onion Adam, for that. Adam, Adam, you're such, you're such a, you're such a philistine. I used twelve eggs in this frittata. It was a big frittata. I saw the photo he posted on Instagram. It was, a, he got a, he's got a big old pan. Yes, this is twelve eggs. This is meant to be a like multi-day frittata that my wife and I are going to eat for multiple days. Okay, but that's not what you said at the outset. I mean, at the outset, you said. Here. I don't like omelets because I have to fold them. So instead, I will chop no, vegetables that, that, that all day still, that, so I can Adam, make Adam, eggs Adam, Adam, That's still this true. Is, sorry, broil, I, broil I still, eggs. I still don't want to fold them. Ben, here, I have a different question. How many how many rounds of that size frittata do you think you could eat in one sitting? Hmm, good question. I could probably eat, like, well, are you saying if I wanted to or if I needed to? Uh, for competition. I could eat the whole thing. Could you eat like two? How many times? Yeah. Ooh, that, I don't yeah, know if I could. Uh, mm, I don't think I could. Eat how two. many eggs worth of your dozen egg frittata could you eat? I could eat one whole frittata. Okay. 
And if you made a second one, would you be like, I can't eat anymore, or? I haven't tried yet, so I don't you haven't know. Pushed your, you haven't pushed those. I haven't pushed yet. myself that far. Okay. Because I'm, like I'm not trying to be a trash person. Or, or we need, like, a great uh, turn-of-the-century polar expedition level uh, willingness to risk it all for right. me. Right, yeah, see. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Now I, I've I mean, made, like, I've Basically, we need Bradley in, a, in the actual frittata. And then next week, you try a 13-egg one, and so on and so forth. <laughs> right, so right, right. The maximum amount of but, but I'm not I'm covered. not I'm not Admiral Ed, Edmondson. I'm I'm not like making a, a polar expedition out of you. You don't want to be trapped in an uh, icy crevasse. Uh, right, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Is this going to require many different sized pans? Like, is he going to need a different pan for the thirteen egg frittata, and then the fourteen egg know. frittata? I don't know what pans. I don't know what pans, I, mean, uh, I don't either. I don't know what the limits if, of, if, of these pans are. If if y'all want to buy me more pans and just send them to me, I, I'll make I'll make okay. weird frittatas out of them. I got it. Got it. If you're pan makers, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, we welcome your pan sponsorship and all of us will use your pans uh, and eat at least one 12 egg frittata. Or 13. Or 14. And we'll document it. We'll talk about how your pan helped us do that. It's true. We will do that. Hey, yeah. hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Making Frittatas podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. Joined as ever by Ben Bromley, frittata master extraordinaire, and, and Jason Anderson, who will refuse to make a frittata yeah. while drunk at night. True, I'll do we it. All... Wait, 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 Jason, can you make a frittata? I can. I just okay. don't want to uh, when I'm uh, that drunk. Uh, well, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I just want to know if you can make a frittata. No, I could make a frittata, yes. Okay, all right. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where I don't believe we've ever actually posted about frittatas, but I, that that can change. Um, I mean, we, I have Freedom Kicks on Thursday, so I can post a frittata recipe. And I expect you to now. Most of what we post about is DC United, and, and we'll talk a little bit about DC United tonight. We've got a transfer rumor to debunk. We've got a coaching search to provide what little update we can. And we've got None. a broader Major League Soccer uh, potential work stoppage in the works. So we'll get to all that in a minute. Before we do, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? I'm shifting gears a little bit, doing something I haven't done in quite a while. Maybe maybe five years on this show. I've got scotch. I've nice. got Laphroaig 10 uh, on the rocks. Uh, smartly, because Laphroaig 10 is like a real smoke bomb uh, of a scotch. Uh, so if you're going to do on the rocks, like let it sit for a minute or two and let some of that ice melt just no, a little bit. No, just no, to... no, no, no. You should just let you should just smoke bomb your face. I mean, if you want like an intense smoke bomb, then go. Then don't even put the ice in there, quite frankly. But Ben, can you name this episode "Smoke Bomb Your Face," please? No, no, no. It's going to be about frittatas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now your challenge. Next time you make a frittata, make it a smoke bomb for your face. I shan't. Fine. What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking uh, apple cider and bourbon. I, too, am drinking apple cider, but it is the kind that is already fermented. I'm drinking Austin oh. East Cider's Original Dry. It is a tasty cider from the Tex-Mex oh. restaurant around the oh. corner. Austin, like Texas? Yes. Austin, like the 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 uh, the, uh, the tree of Gondor uh, soccer team? I, I believe the tree in their logo is the Ben Olsen coaching tree. Oh, that's possible. That is what it is meant to symbolize and represent, so... That's what I'm going with. Um, 
Happy New Year, filibuster listeners. Um, I think it's traditional to celebrate the start of a new trip around the sun with a reheated transfer rumor. That's that's a thing, right? No. I don't think that's Leftovers a or good luck or something? We're, is that a thing? We're, we're cursed. It's a curse, not a tra- nope. tradition. Okay. Yeah, it's a curse. So is, <laughs> all right, so we're off to a bad start in 2021. Meet the new year, same as the old year. No, um, it's not. No, it's not. Never speak of 2020 again, Adam. 2021. It didn't win. I'm just saying the name of the year now. Anyway, uh, Mesut Ozil, who's frozen out at Arsenal and has been for a long time and has been linked with DC United ever since signs randomly appeared for his coffee shop in the windows of the bike valet at Audi Field. Um it's Tuesday as we record this, and uh, the new rumor is the same as the old rumor, that he's in talks with DC United. There's nothing new in this report, which is out of England. Um, there, there's no detail. There's no uh, quotes. There's there's absolutely nothing. Um, in fact, both Stephen Goff and Pablo Maurer have effectively dunked on this tweet are on this report on Twitter saying that their sources with DC United say there's nothing to it. There have been contacts periodically for a year uh, or two with Ozil's people, but nothing developing from them at this point. He could be a target in the future, but no offers have been made. No, no deal is imminent. Um, which I think if you exercised a little common sense when you heard this would be the conclusion you'd probably come to. Yeah, I mean, like, the Jason Anderson, who's currently on this podcast, posted a, a a pretty good takedown of how to deal with transfer rumors. And today I ran this uh, current transfer rumor through that uh, takedown, and it failed every uh, single criteria in that, in that, uh, in Jason's uh, uh, takedown. And yeah, like, maybe Mesut Ozil will someday come here. It's possible it's not likely it's possible but this rumor is nothing it's it's complete crap it's just it's just a ridiculous thing that has been reheated by uh, a ridiculous tabloid in england and it, it's honestly offensive that we're even talking about it yeah i mean the thing is the the amount of money that arsenal deemed uh, a good investment uh, when they gave him a contract extension a few years ago was it turned out way too much money. Uh, and when a player is making that much money, they aren't going to be like, oh, well, I guess I'll just take a, quite a bit less all of a sudden. Um, I, I wouldn't. Um, and so that's kind of, that's the reason they haven't offloaded him previously because they've been looking, to, he hasn't played a game since uh, before COVID broke out. Um so they've been trying to offload him. They don't want to pay that salary anymore. No one wants to take them up on it. Um, and, you know, it's that classic situation where what makes sense for him doesn't make sense for very many other teams on planet Earth. And it certainly doesn't make sense for DC United economically. Um, you know, we, we, we all know uh, that the team between paying off various stadium and construction loans uh and just ownership's general, the status that they want to put, the, where they are in the league in terms of their expenditures, this is not a team putting up the kind of money it's going to take 
to get Mesut Ozil on the field for them. Um, at least in any realistic expectation that we have, you know, Ozil's going to take less money than he makes at Arsenal to go somewhere else, but it's not going to be, you know, 85 80% to 90% less, less yeah. um, which is the kind of chunk we're talking here. We're not talking like, oh, if he takes a pay cut in half, that doesn't get you there. Um, also, and yeah, go Jason, ahead, ben. Jason, at this point, like, like regardless of his coffee shop, which is the whole thing that started this, like, I feel like they could take the money that is rumored that, that would be not even rumored that would be required to sign Mesut Ozil. And I'd rather sign a lot of other people than Mesut Ozil to, with uh, that kind of money. Yeah. Uh, that's a very reasonable position. Uh, you know, Ozil's 32 um, work rate uh, has been a question mark. And MLS is a league that if nothing else is characterized by, a bunch of dudes willing to work very hard. Like, um, would he be Frank Lampard if he came here? Would he be? No, I think he'd be. I think he'd be quite a bit better than Lampard or or Gerard would if he? he got here. Would I think, he? I think he would Lampard be able to fifteen goal season. That that's true. I forget Lampard actually. We, like he there was that brief period of time where he played very well. It's just that the rest of the time was very bad. Right. Um, Gerard was bad. Yes. Uh, I think he would. I, I don't think he would be worth the money it would take certainly no he would not but, be at all but i think he could be a contributor to a very good or uh, you know he could be the star on a good team i think in mls uh for a year or two yes um i, I think having this last year off he'd come in with fresh legs at least but he'd probably get a muscle <laughs> injury three right, three weeks into the season um, but, uh, yeah, what what if he gallardoed and was just like Played two games and was got a got a sports hernia and went back to Germany for right a duration. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a thing that could happen. Is you'd have to know his heart was in it, um, but it, it doesn't matter because it's not a real rumor. <laughs> yes, that, this right. is the whole it's thing. Not, like it's not at all. Uh, you know the the coffee shop stickers are real, or at least the last time I was at the stadium, they were still there. I haven't been by the stadium in quite a while, but um, you know that's a real thing. And that's a real reason for his people and DC United to talk. Uh, but that does not mean that he's going to be playing soccer for DC yeah, United. He might just and, open a coffee shop and that's it. Right. Um, and I would know, just like to note for the record that I really don't want a coffee shop owned by Mesut Ozil or anyone else to open in the bike valet because I'm a regular user of the bike valet at Audi Field and that would really put me out. I feel like there's enough room at that end of the stadium to, Adam, if they really Adam. wanted to have a bike valet which is needed to you know get fans to the stadium in a, in a better uh, way than just having the whole area clogged with cars uh, yes. but also there's still plenty of room in that part of the stadium especially to put a small coffee shop in that corner like that's the end of the stadium where there very, isn't very much also, stuff that corner is kind of empty also isn't the first street side like still like completely empty uh yeah as far as i know Last I checked, what? so that, that's where the actual retail days are. Yeah, just right. put it over there. So Ben raises a good up, good point. Um, but yeah, the the player the player situation, like if DC is going to spend that kind of money, um, I feel like what we learned from Wayne Rooney coming here is that yes, uh, a world superstar in his early thirties can make a major short term impact. But we also learned that DC United doesn't just need a major short-term impact. They need a longer-term project to take them up to a cycle of being hey, more Jason, successful. Hey, Jason, do you, think, do, do, do you think they also need to coach? 
Uh, probably. Uh, most likely. Well, that's that's actually <laughs> one reason. That's another reason to be skeptical of these Ozil rumors, right? Is there's a continued vacancy in the DC United head coaching position. And that's the kind of signing that you'd want to make sure your coach is on board with and let uh-huh. him, him or her it's, play a role in it. It's weird because it kind of cuts both ways. Because on one hand, yes, a well-run club uh, would not make the cornerstone signing of the club, a, a guy that you know has to be on the field whenever they possibly can. You wouldn't want to make that signing without a coach. But on the other hand, I think a lot of ownership groups in MLS and a lot of ownership groups worldwide, when they're going to spend over and above the rest of their players like that, um, they don't really care what the coach thinks. Uh, like the board, the ownership, they are making that move regardless of what the coach says. Uh, now that's, like I said before, well-run club doesn't make that move without having a coach in place and knowing exactly why they're doing it. Um, it remains to be seen because we're kind of, this whole coaching thing is kind of shown that DC United is very much at a crossroads uh, in general. It's not just uh, we need a coach to have a coach to, you know, tell the team what to do for soccer games. Uh, it's more of an indicator of like, what is DC United going to be? We tried the Rooney Audi field based restart, but that went haywire in 2019. And now we're back at, so what is this exactly? What are we doing? Um, and the coaching, the coaching thing is part of that. And it could be if DC United's like, screw it, uh, we're going to be the kind of team that signs star players and the coach has to deal with whatever, um, that could work, or it could be like a galaxy situation, um, which we do not want to be like the LA galaxy. One of the only teams that I think are in, uh, one of the only fan bases in a worse head state than DC United's is these days. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't think uh, I'll spoil it. I don't think that DC United is going to make any multi-million dollar signings before signing a coach. Um, so I guess we don't have to worry about it most likely. Or even shortly after signing a coach. Right. I, I don't know if we're going to see multi-million dollar signings from for any, at any point in this year, because everyone's broke. Uh, COVID really did a, a number on the league, which we're going to talk about more later. But um, one of the consequences is that these crazy rumors are probably from agents who are like, how can I get my player the most money right now? Because money is short. It's not a, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a player's market in the transfer world right now. Teams are not putting up crazy money. You don't have, you know, there's that brief period of time where the Chinese league was like, we'll pay whatever you want. Uh, That ended. Uh, So um, all of these reasons are conspiring so that if you're a player like Mesut Ozil or equivalent, uh, I will say, unless you're Lionel Messi, you're probably not going to command your what you think your market rate is. And that comes to DC United as much as anyone else. So switching gears to the coaching search, uh, DC United still does not have a manager, head coach, whatever you want to call it. In fact, based on uh, reporting that came out today, Tuesday, um, the, the list of candidates may be growing rather than shrinking which is real fun when you're multiple months into a coaching search. Um, Pablo Maurer reported today on Twitter that Gonzalo Pineda, who we've talked about a lot here, and we are big fans of the idea of hiring him. He seems to be the, quote, the lead candidate right now. Um, And he used the quotes in his tweets. So that seems to be what his source is saying very directly. Um, But there's a new name on the list. Stephen Goff also reported that there are international Uh names who are, entering the mix still at this point. Um, And 
Pablo gave us the name of one of them, German manager Alexander Zoringer, uh, who was most recently of the Danish league, Bronby. Um, he was the guy who managed RB Leipzig from the fourth division up to the second division. Um, he apparently did not get on with a young Timo Werner uh, when when he was at Stuttgart. Um, that's hey, there's some tactical stuff that I read about him, but I'll I'll leave it to Jason to talk well, about that. Yeah, so there was an interesting situation here with um when he was at RB Leipzig, basically uh, Ralph Rangnick, who we've talked about, I think, or a couple of times on the show, is just this is the guy who's behind the Red Bull soccer template. Um, right, they call it Ralph Ball. Yeah. Um, and this is also, you know, this is why anyone coaching for any of those teams, you have to wonder, uh, are they just running the Ralph Rangnick playbook to a certain extent? Because there is literally, there's a book um, <laughs> that they have that tells the coach, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, at some point, there was a reorganization in 2015 in which they announced that Ralph Rangnick was going to take over as head coach of RB Leipzig uh, after the season ended. And uh, Zorniger decided, well, that doesn't, I don't really like the sound of that because I'm I'm currently the coach of the team. I, that's right. not cool. Um, and so he resigned. Um, uh, ironically enough, about a month after the club acquired Jordi Reyna on loan, um, <laughs> because of course the the world is so small that there's no escaping uh, a given random MLS player. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's uh, you know it's hard to say exactly. You know, I'm not super well versed in what's going on with uh, Stuttgart. Actually, it's occurring to me as I'm saying this, that we know someone that knows uh, the German league pretty well. Maybe we should talk to Phil uh, at some point about these things, see what he thinks. But um, the, the quick reading I did was just that this is someone who, you know, gegenpressing is very popular as a talking point, and he is very far towards the gegenpressing. If you've seen that triangle of like Klopp, Guardiola, and Mourinho, uh, he is like out out on the very triangle point with Klopp, maybe even like beyond the graph. He is an extreme <laughs> gegenpressing advocate, um, which, you know, is the way MLS has kind of gone. Um, but I also, you know, I, I do wonder a little bit about in a post-COVID world with schedules being compressed in both directions. You know, we just came off of a very compressed schedule season this coming season, most likely for various reasons, will not be starting in March like the league keeps trying to say it will. That schedule feels like it's going to get compressed uh, at some point. Um, pressing, being a high-pressing team to that extent is a physical drain. We've seen it destroy Sporting Kansas City's MLS Cup hopes several times uh, where they just run, they are brilliant for 25 games and then they just don't have anything left in the tank. Um so I, I do wonder, to a certain extent, I wonder how compatible a, and this isn't just about this particular rumor, but any coaching hire they make, uh, how compatible someone that wants to press to that extent, to to that, you know, that dogmatic of a level, um, how compatible is that with playing MLS soccer, knowing that you have to travel, you know, your close, quote unquote, close game still involves a two hour flight to Chicago or Orlando to play in August. Um, this is not necessarily a league that is super friendly to pressing to that extent. Um, now that's not to say you can't do it. You know, the Red Bulls have some supporter shields, uh, that they can, they can point to and say, Hey, you know, we pressed a bunch and look what happened. Um, 
and other teams as well. LAFC high presses a lot of high pressing teams. Um, but it sounds like Zorniger is like one step beyond that. And I do have my, I, I would at least want to hear like he loves to do this, but also has been known to play this other way some of the time when needed, because you're going to need in MLS, you're going to need, as we've seen over and over again, you need to be able to do at least two different things as a team to really end up having success, whether you're Tata Martino or Brian Schmetzer or Bob Bradley or whoever, you got to have those two. Uh, this is what this is what cost Jesse Marsh MLS Cups. This is what cost Chris Armas is that these are coaches that could not get the two options together. They could always get one or maybe in Armas's case, not really uh, even <laughs> get one. But he lost one when he tried to introduce the other. Yeah. Um, and if you can't do both, if you can't be a team that can go all out, but then also have some kind of energy conserving tactic in your back pocket, you tend to run into problems somewhere along the line. Now, yeah, this is what was real exciting about DC United at the beginning of 2019 is they they showed that they could play really competently out of a mid block, but then they could spring a really high press that's really hard and turn that into offense. And the the pressing into attack seems to be the the biggest thing uh, from Zoringer. He I, I saw one of his training drill drills is basically when the ball turns over the defense or the, the team that now has the ball has eight seconds to put it on goal. And the new defense has five seconds to try to get the ball back. Mm -hmm. And the, he wants just chaos, basically uh, preferably in the opponent's half. But um, if that were tempered with some possession, I could see it being a, a pretty formidable system. That's kind of what LAFC does. They win the ball and try to score right away. And if it doesn't work, they'll, they'll hang on to it for a while and break you down. They also have Carlos Vela and uh, many other high-priced players who are very good. So I, I can see how that that works for them. It would be interesting. Um, I, I'd be interested to see if how the five-sub rule, how that affects pressing in MLS, uh, especially if it sticks around past COVID, which we don't know if it will or not. It probably won't, but it might. And it would make pressing, I think, a little bit more of a, feasible option to to go all out all the time in a way that it's not right now because human bodies are frail and mortal so sure. yeah I, I i i'm 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 not into him right now uh, i i'm just give it, it like he did a decent job at at the the red bull uh organization and then uh his uh his time at uh, what was Stuttgart, yeah, uh, and ended after a year. And then Braun B. I mean, it's it's the Danish league. He did fine there, and then and then it ended. And then he has been out out of uh, practice for a year. I just, I mean, he's fine, but if DC United is going to hire somebody from overseas, I, I would want to have a, a number of different, uh, different priorities and I'd rather them hire somebody else from inside the league. Uh, if, if they have, if they have those priorities as well. Yeah. I know we've talked about how with DC United's roster the last few years, how much sense pressing more makes. This is obviously this would obviously be a step in that direction. Well, eight steps in that direction. Um, 
but the, I, I mentioned how the the subs could could affect how how I think about this. But DC United has, for the last several years, been a short roster team. They've yes. not been a team that fills every roster slot. And I think if you are going to play a system that is that hard on bodies, you want every available, you want every possible body available to to be able to throw into the mix, even just in training, to give someone a lighter workload in training yeah. so they're ready for the game. And you that's be- not what DC United has had. Right, and, and you don't become an elite pressing team by taking it easy in training. Uh, exactly. Those training sessions for high-pressing teams are more physically demanding almost than a game day. Uh, they yeah. are relentless. And that's the idea. So, is that yeah. the game and, is and the easier that's the part. Only way you, yeah, the, that's the only way you get good at playing that way. Um, but this is why teams run out of gas. It's not what we see on game day. It's that, you know, the day off, after they have their day off uh, on a Sunday, they get back out there on Monday and are just, you know, fighting uh, truth and nail. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting dilemma also because is that the style we want as a fan base? Because that's not when people talk about the great DC United teams of the past, uh, they were not necessarily characterized by constantly winning tackles in the uh, other team's defensive third, which is what this is ultimately about. Yeah. Um, when you boil it down to the very essence of it, a high pressing strategy is about winning the ball. It's not about cleverness with the ball. It's about winning the ball. Um, and tackling is important. Uh, but is that what you want? to be the hallmark thing when you think of what did my team do that was awesome and you know are you thinking about a brilliant line breaking pass or a dribble or a counter or just a guy winning a tackle um and that that, you know each person's gonna have to make up their own because this is the aesthetics it's hard for you know we're all gonna have different opinions on it um but one thing that does kind of give me pause is that my own personal vision for what I would like DC United to do if I could have everything I wanted if I could just have the team do exactly what I want them to do I don't think I would want them to play that style because it is kind of it's kind of boring to me um it's very effective and it's very high action but it's ultimately a little rustic uh I I sound like a snob but it's it's a little true like watching own it Yeah, I mean, watching those Red Bulls teams that won the Shield with a high press or watching Peter Vermes um, bring the high press into the league officially uh, uh, way back in like 2013 or so, uh, I did not enjoy watching those teams. They were terrible to play against, and I I understood them to be the best teams in the league, but I did not have a lot of fun watching them as a neutral. Um, And if you ask me whether I would rather have DC United be a mid-block team that is brilliant with the ball at their feet and can pass their way through teams, um, then I would rather take that. Uh, but also uh, we're kind of in the desert right now, as far as uh, I, I think, I think I want DC United to succeed more than I have, want a specific aesthetic. And I assume that I, I feel like most of the fan base is on in agreement on that, at least that if a team comes in and plays ugly, but winning soccer uh, on a consistent basis, people will be on board. Now, if it's ugly and winning soccer that suddenly stops winning, then people will be very mad very quickly. But that's I think the tradition. It's, it's, the line will be thinner, or at least the the leash will be shorter if it's winning soccer that is out of a very low block. Yes. Given, yeah, I think everyone's kind of tired of that. Yeah, so. a specific kind of ugly will be the hardest to sell the fan base on for sure. Yes. Um. 
I just thought of a fun combination that makes that will absolutely not work. If Zorniger really is a candidate, then Mesut Ozil cannot join DC United. He is not a gegen pressing player. Uh, right. He's not going to, but the the combination of these rumors clicked in my head and I was like, oh God, that is two tastes that do not go well together. So on that note, Ben, unless you have anything else, Jason, we'll call it a segment. We'll be right back to talk about labor strife. So stick around. It's decent. It's what is it? It's it's we've been off for a week and it's a new year and I can't even it's remember. Soccer podcast. It, it's yeah, it's filibuster. It's filibuster, is it? It is. It's filibuster. All right, say you're at work and uh something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you called the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect, if you uh, if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government, call the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash Filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are going to talk about MLS and the Players Union uh, situation right now. But first, there has been development. There, there we, we have news from the end of the last segment. Uh, a Twitter account called Frittata Lover has retweeted two of our tweets tonight. Um, and that is huge news. Frittatas are apparently, I was wrong in favoring omelets um, based on this news. Yes, of course you were. It's a developing situation. I won't fully um, admit defeat here, but I'm still on Team Omelette. But apparently there is a Frittata Lover account on Twitter that goes around retweeting any praise of Frittato. Uh, I encourage all our listeners to just tweet about Frittatas and see if you get retweeted. The more absurd, the better. No, this account has many nice photos of some very good looking Frittatas. They look delicious. All right. This is now officially public service journalism. So, <laughs> uh, so today, Tuesday, uh, Major League Soccer presented an offer to the MLS Players Association to modify their collective bargaining agreement, which was agreed to all the way back in May. <laughs> this is a very old document. Um, it was agreed to during the pandemic. Um, and this this presentation, this offer came after uh, MLS invoked uh, a clause in that CBA, uh, allowing them to begin a 30-day negotiation period after which either side, I guess, can can disavow the CBA and throw it in the trash. Um, 
This is known as a force majeure clause, which traditionally is limited to unforeseen acts of God. So you wouldn't be able to invoke it during a pandemic that was happening when you agreed to the CBA. Uh (laughs) That would not be a valid exercise. But from what what we've seen, I think Professor Stephen and Bank of UCLA, who's a great account on Twitter, you should follow him. Um, he said it sounds like this the language, even though they've been calling it a force majeure, it's really an economic impossibility clause. So that whatever the situation was when they agreed to it, they can invoke it, uh, invoke the clause. If it appears, they won't be able to economically fulfill their responsibility. Uh, it, it's a get out of free, get out of jail free card for the league, basically. I mean, my my thought on all of this is the owners are billionaires and I don't give a shit if they are losing a ton of money. Like you, you are not guaranteed to make uh, just, you're not guaranteed to make money forever with your investment. Sometimes your investment loses money and then it makes more money uh, a couple years later. And so they are the ones who invested in this and it, and it is these are the lumps they have to take and it is not their right to just because they are mad about the fact that they are losing money this one year it is not their right to uh take that out on on their employees and so i think it is a terrible uh thing that they are that they are doing so like they have i agree so much more money than their employees and uh yeah, it's 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 such a it's such a power dynamic that uh, it's awful and it, it, yeah. So they, for they, years I, and years, they just need to go back and just and just they need to just take their lumps. That's what you got to do. Sometimes you made your investment, you got to take your lumps. For years and years, MLS uh, had a small enough revenue base that they had to make capital calls, cash calls to their ownership pretty regularly from what I understand. I don't have numbers or anything that I haven't seen them reported, but cash calls were a a pretty regular occurrence for most of this league's history. Um, And it seems like that hasn't been the case in recent years. They've had regular hundred million, $200 million cash infusions from expansion teams uh, and also better revenue at gates and, and with the TV deal. But everyone kind of understood the investment was about the ownership stake. It was not a revenue positive investment uh, on the operational side. It's something that's going to be worth a lot more money in a few years than it is right now. And that's when you make your money back. You know, you don't, you don't want to take a loss of billions and billions of dollars, but a short term loss, you can survive. And all of these billionaires, because of that cash, that capital call, history, I got to think these billionaires are not exactly short on cash flow. They are all liquid enough to survive this and keep the teams afloat. Yeah. Without, you know, forcing hundreds of millions of dollars of economic pain on the the And if they're not, and if they're not, they shouldn't be in this league. Like, like it, this is an investment. Like if you, if you're not able to weather this storm, then you shouldn't have invested in this, in this, in the first place. Like it's, it's any sort of investment. It's like, you shouldn't have invested in a mutual fund. You shouldn't invest it in the stock market. Like you shouldn't invest it in major league soccer. If you can't weather a storm, then you shouldn't have invested in that because it's not guaranteed that it's always going to go up. 
Yeah, Nothing's I mean, going to go up forever. Yeah. Hold on, Ben. I was assured by by uh, late capitalism that the arrow always goes up. Right. Exactly. The arrow must it's always go up and to the right on the graph, and that means right. more money. That's how money works. <laughs> right. Time may go up and down, but money always goes up. Yes. So, I'm with you, Ben. I I think it's it, it's pretty awful of the the owners to number one to ask the players to take a haircut earlier this year, which they did. Um, they, they negotiated a 5% annualized uh, salary reduction across the board for players. They laid off 25% of the league office staff. Um, and a, a lot of teams have furloughed staff as well uh, or laid, laid them off. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, and I think people who are investing in what are essentially community assets, which is, I think how sports teams are properly viewed. They are cultural assets of their communities and the owners should be seen as stewards. This is bad stewardship in a lot of ways. Um, and, and it sucks. That said, they, they negotiated for this clause and here we are. They have invoked it. They invoked it without ever actually discussing with the players association. Yeah. What Again, changes they Which is pretty bad form, especially after they, threatened to lock out the players in May reportedly um, in during the negotiation of getting that clause. They, they threatened to lock out over this clause. So if the players wanted to get paid in 2020 during a pandemic, they had to agree to this clause, which that might be the, the morally worst aspect of this is how the owners got this clause in the first place. Like I I've seen a lot of people saying the players bent over and, and shouldn't have agreed to this clause, but I mean, it was literally, they were going to be locked out. And unlike some of the more established longer tenured leagues in, in this country, the MLS players association doesn't have a hugely well-developed strike fund. A lot of these players who are yes, making six figures, but some of them very, very low six figures. Some of them are very young and don't have savings. Um, they're not going to be able to weather that storm. They're not investing. They are laboring and therefore don't have the huge margins that investments typically get in this country um, and favorable treatment that, that investments get in this country. So the, the offer that MLS made today, uh, from what we understand from reporting from Yahoo, ESPN, and The Athletic, is that it would extend the CBA by two years. It would not ask the players to take an immediate pay cut. It would not affect any existing contracts for players. Um, but it would essentially freeze salaries where they are now for a year, at least as far as the salary budget uh, for each team. It would freeze it where it is now and then add another year in 2027. to. It would push everything out a year a second year because they already did this once when back in May. So everything that was originally going to be 2020 in the, the original agreement back in February got pushed to 2021 in May. And this offer would push that to 2022 and then add an extra year at the end where there would be scheduled salary increases, but they wouldn't be as big as you would typically expect when you negotiate a new CBA. That's when the salaries really jump in, in MLS history is when you negotiate a new deal. Uh, and that wouldn't happen. At the same time, all this is happening, 
MLS is due to negotiate new TV rights after the 2022 season, which will cover the World Cup that's happening in this continent. Uh, and this would basically push whatever gains from that further uh, away from the players. And so the owners are, are basically standing to reap a huge windfall from from this. Yeah. Uh, by they're asking the they're saying the players were cash poor now, which I don't buy on a personal level. Um, they're billionaires. So, <laughs> I, I yes, we we hashed that out. Yeah, <laughs> they're saying they're cash poor now, and so they are willing to take some losses now in order to recoup them later with with additional certainty, which <laughs> is a concept that is completely overwrought in any discussion of investments in business. Um, like I don't know what the players' union will do. I I, I support them. I stand with them. I'm in a union. You know, I'm I'm all for labor solidarity. Yeah, just tell them to go f themselves. It, you know, unfortunately, I, mean, I, I get I get I get that the fact that they are they are cash poor, so they probably can't. But right, the players are over a barrel in a in a real sense because yeah. they don't have a strike fund. And and you know, unfortunately, the the tack the owners are taking. It's it's pretty clever um, because it puts the players in a bad spot. To, they're going to lose something that they want either way, and there's not really an escape. Um, you know, the, the players can choose the short-term stability um, and what they would lose long-term. And by they, I mean the players as a concept because we have to also acknowledge that uh, we're talking 2024, 2025, 2026 – a lot of the players involved in negotiating this will not be active MLS players by the time those uh, the benefits of fighting through this thing and, and waiting for those and holding that leverage that they would hold, that they would lose if they agreed at the ownership's terms. Um, those guys might not be around. So they might not have the, uh, the in personal incentive to stick this out to the extent that they would uh or that they do have for fighting for the short-term stability um and you know we're getting into a thing where you we're talking about this thing in like seven like six or i shouldn't say seven six years from now would be impacted by this um the tv deal and the world cup were the two major hopes for the players as far as leverage going uh for them to get those big inflection point races that, that Adam mentioned that come with the CBA, because normally it's, you get one big jump on the CBA and then incremental incremental for four or five years. And then you get another big jump. Um, the world cup and the TV deal are maybe the two biggest shots this league has at becoming a true, the becoming what they've talked about, which is becoming a, one of the better leagues in the world. Um, being comparable or better than Liga Amekis, being comparable to some of Europe's best leagues. Um, and some of that is money going to players' pockets. Uh, but if they take that short-term stability, their leverage at those two opportunities kind of disappears. The way that they've lined this up with the calendar, um, it's it's a rough spot. Uh, I, I I'm sure there are smarter people on this sort of thing than I am that maybe can see a path to not have a bad outcome either way for the players. But, you know, just having read about it right before we started the show, my first thought was like, oh, I don't like either of these outcomes for the players at all. Um, this is bad either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The owners, 
the owners, some billionaires aren't stupid. And yeah, some uh, of the not stupid they, ones, I think, are I'm not rooting for the owners, but they, no. they sure have they, put themselves in a good bargaining spot, unfortunately, for the players. Yeah, I will say the one kind of potentially saving grace, and this is really just a, a only for some players, is that the owners still appear to want to throw money into player salaries they just want it to be off budget and targeted at a smaller number of players so who this really hurts are the the rank and file um mls squad players the, the, the ones who are fighting the roster spots and starting lineup spots the ones who are on the bench uh which is the majority of the league um yeah. and and instead the league wants to target more money at individuals at the higher end of the spectrum um in this case, they they have we haven't talked about it on this show, but it's been reported elsewhere. The under twenty two initiative, where players will be or teams will be able to sign as many as three players younger than twenty twenty two, and the transfer fees will not be incorporated into the budget charge as long as they make below the the roster salary maximum, which is six hundred something thousand this year. So it, it's a chance to sign nineteen year olds from South America. Basically, is is who that's mostly targeting which this um, should probably do yes they should but that doesn't help the that doesn't improve the salary of the college player or the the new homegrown player um who's going to be making 90 grand which is pretty good coming out of college but when your earning window is very very short it's not a something i mean i wish i wish i made 90 grand ever sure but you also have your, your your career is not limited to when you turn 34 in the best case scenario. Sorry for King Kazu. He's he's an exception. Right. The only there's only one person that can play into their 50s uh, and it's King Kazu. <laughs> um we should have him fight the the suits. I, I bet he would support the players in, against uh the the bosses. I think awesome. I think I, I don't actually know that. I'm just assuming. Yeah. Adam, we, Adam, we choose Adam. to believe. Adam, get King Kazu on this podcast. <laughs> Learn Japanese, develop several J League contacts, and slowly but surely, uh, I mean, negotiate I, yourself. I don't know. Adam's, what the, one, Adam's the one. Adam's the one who gets our our who books our uh, people on the podcast. So just do that, Adam. There you go. Well, I'm going to find out if he speaks English at least. I will do that much, Ben. That is my pledge to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I will look into whether King Kazu speaks English. All right. Sounds good. That is as far as I'm willing to go. Uh, so the league is willing to throw money, and TAM was not negotiated for in a CBA. Um, and designated players, I don't think, were negotiated for in the CBA. These are This is all money that the league is putting on top of the negotiated salary budget. So if the TV deal is good and MLS wants to as they say they do compete with Liga MX East and become a league of choice, then they're going to continue to throw money at it, but it's not necessarily going to be good for the workaday players um, who I think deserve to be paid uh, a reasonable wage for, for their labor in comparison to the value they produce. So it's, it's a sucky situation. It's really frustrating. The league, um, I hope they feel bad. I don't think they do, but I hope I hope at least somebody at the league feels bad about doing this because it's it's wrong. And 
I understand like they, they touted in their statement that the MLS players only took a 5% haircut on their salaries during, during the pandemic when the league lost a billion dollars. And it's like, yeah, you can afford you people in ownership can afford to lose a billion dollars. NWSL took no pay cuts and did not renegotiate uh, a CBA that I will say, sorry, I'm going to go backwards a little bit here. The league is also touting that they're not asking the players to take salary reductions. And that's one of those technically true yes. sort of things. Um, no individual player is being asked to take a wage lower than the current contract, but by lowering the salary budget uh, versus the baseline where it is now, they are limiting the ability for players to negotiate higher wages in the future. That is what that does. Yeah. Um, and so it is, it is asking the players to take less money. When the league says we're saving a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, where's that coming from? It's coming out of players' pockets in the yep. future. Um, so, so don't believe that spin. Um, I'm, I'm really frustrated over this and I'm with the players and it sucks that they are in this position. And um, I'm, I'm not going to criticize the players association for whatever they do. If they want to, if they want to walk out, if they, want to take the deal i'm i'm not going to criticize them because it's it's their livelihoods and they are in a bad spot right now and also there is a pandemic and they need to take care of of Mm -hmm. their members so uh, i'm real angry at the league right now though real angry at the league uh it's not i'm I'm still mad i'm mad all over again about the the lockout threat during the early days of the pandemic i'm just i can't because we've all, all of us, all three of us, and everyone listening to this, we've invested a lot of time and emotion into this thing. And from an organizational standpoint, they still choose to act in this manner. Um, it's kind of, it's tough to reconcile. Yeah. Major sports always requires a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. If you I'm are, feel it. If, then, if you have uh, morals, but. And it, I feel it, like. Comes to the four, <laughs> and I feel like we, all of us, at least on this podcast, are all for players. We are all for the workers. Uh, so we hope they can find the be- the be- the best uh, best way that they can make the best money that they can. Yep, Bobby Boswell, if you're listening, we got tell the players union that we I mean, we got. Uh, back. Well, well, I mean. I'm I'm 99% for Bobby Boswell, but Bobby Boswell, just unblock me. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, including Bobby Boswell. Please unblock Ben. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially and you're in a position to do so, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you send your frittata pictures to any of those accounts, we will see them and we will probably share them. Uh, download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get the podcast. I'm told that ratings and reviews are especially helpful in spreading the word about the podcast. Uh, the best thing you can do from my book is to tell someone else about the show, tell them you enjoy it, and try to get them to listen. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Just remember all caps when you spell the man name. Uh-huh.